John chapter 14. This is really the second part of the message I preached two weeks ago. And so let's return back there. John chapter 14, verses 12 through 17. Now, if you miss the first part, you've missed a, quite a substa- substance of the message. Um, you can find that on Sermon Audio. Uh, it is there, and you can listen to it if you'd like. Uh, but here we are. We're going to look mainly at 16 and 17 this morning and look at uh, the role of the Holy Spirit is where we're going to go with this sermon. But let us read the whole text, and then we will focus only on 16 and 17. So John 14, 12 reads somewhat this way. Amen, amen, I say to you, whoever is believing in me, the works which I do, he will also do, and greater things he will do, because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me and keep my commandments, I have petitioned the Father, and he will give you another paraclete, another helper, so that he will be with you into eternity the Spirit of truth, whom the world is not able to receive, because it does not see Him nor know Him. You know Him, because He dwells or remains in you and will be in you. Father in heaven, I pray that you will help us to grasp the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives today, and that we will see the benefits, the privileges, and everything that comes with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, and that we will see that and understand that we have all that we need to live out Christianity in this life and be prepared for the life to come. And we pray these things this morning by your Spirit, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Now, as we looked at this text previously, we spent a lot of time on doing the same works that Jesus did, and then trying to determine what were the greater things or greater works that we would do than what Jesus did. And what we established is is that Jesus paid everything necessary to build the house. We used a house construction uh, metaphor, uh, and so Jesus paid everything necessary to fund the building of the house. And everything that we do that's a part of building the church, we're doing the same work Jesus did. He paid for the church to be built. He's building the church. Everything we do that's working to build the church is doing the same work. Then we branched on to the greater work being that of sustaining the church. And we use the uh, illustration of marriage being if it's work to get to the wedding day, all the arrangements made, all the things taking place, to get to the point where a man and woman stand before the preacher and say, I do, that's a lot of work, then the greater work is sustaining that marriage for the next 60, 70 years or until you die. So we established the same work is building the church, planting a church, if you will. 
then the greater work is sustaining that church. That work never ends until Jesus returns. So this is the way that we took it in contrast to the charismatics, in contrast to evangelicals. The charismatics say greater works are more miracles. Uh, The evangelicals, uh, just the spreading of the gospel and reaching more people. Not opposed to that, we just defined it more clearly. Yeah, it is preaching the gospel. It is reaching more people in a sense. Only if it's connected to building a church and then sustaining that church until the Lord Jesus comes. And how did we get there? We looked at the result of what happened to the apostles because we couldn't develop that out of this particular text. It doesn't say church planning and church sustaining in this text. So we looked at the result. What did these guys do? Well, you look in the book of Acts, what did they do? They preached the gospel and they planted a church. And many were added unto the Lord. And so the church was birthed. And so you began to have churches scattered all around. Then after Acts, you see all of these letters written to the church. This is how the church is to run. Here's who's qualified to lead her. Here's who's qualified to serve her. Here's what older men do. Here's what younger men do. Here's what older women do. Here's what younger women do. All these letters where we would know how to behave in the household of God. And this work is a difficult work. Churches close every day, day after day. Churches are closing. How are we going to sustain a local church here in a town that doesn't exist called Briar? How's that going to work? We're going to need a lot of help because we're not smart enough, we're not strong enough, we're not brave enough. We, we can't make this work happen until Jesus comes in our own strength. And so Jesus gives them this comforting word. You don't have to worry about it. He says, the Lord Jesus says, I will petition my Father, and He will give you another. He's going to give you the Holy Spirit. That's the only thing that is provided in this text for doing the greater work of sustaining the church. The Holy Spirit is enough for you individually and for us corporately to have a church built and to sustain it until Jesus comes back. You don't have to have a self-help formula. You certainly don't need Dr. Phil, and you certainly don't need Oprah, and you don't need to work yourself and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. The Spirit of the living God dwelling in you is enough and sufficient to do the work that we are to be about. All right, so my thesis statement, I don't know that it's long, but I think it's clear. My thesis is this. Everything that is needed to live out the Christian life. Everything you need to live out the Christian life, to birth a church and to sustain a church, has been given to every believer in the form of the person, the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Godhead is given to you to dwell in you. Everything you need to live this Christian life plant a church and sustain a church, you have everything you need. If you're a Christian, you're not a second-rate Christian. You're not a third-rate Christian. You're just Christian, and the Bible confirms that the Spirit of God has sealed you until the day of redemption. You have the third person of the Godhead dwelling, remaining within you until Jesus comes. All right, verse 16 is where we'll begin. And we see here, we'll see this word paraclete. 
The first thing I want you to notice in your text in verse 16 is Jesus says, I have petitioned the Father. I tried to come up with something really creative, but I never did come up with anything. I just know that Jesus in the Greek text, when he asks, he uses the word petition, and when we ask, it's a different Greek word for asking. I was trying to make a difference between petition and ask, but I, I didn't come up with anything other than they're two different Greek words. But to petition just means to query someone, to ask, ask for something. So at least get this picture. Jesus is departing. He's going to ascend into heaven. He's going to be at the right hand of the Father. There he's seated in power, and he turns to the Father and petitions him. We cannot leave my children alone. I'm not abandoning them. I'm petitioning the Father, and the Father is going to grant my children one they need to sustain them, right? Now, be encouraged because whatever Jesus petitions, the Father grants. You think, we may ask amiss. I think James says that. We may ask, you know, kind of topsy-turvy here one minute and there the next minute. When Jesus petitions, every single petition he gives to the Father is granted. He never petitions anything that's outside of the will of God because they're in perfect unity. I say that to you to remind you that there's only one mediator between you and God. Just one. And it's Christ. So if Christ takes your prayer and petitions the Father, it will be granted. Now, I know most of you know better than this, but we at least need to say it. It is the height of idolatry and carnality to try to go through someone else to get the Father to do something for you. It is an idolatrous carnality to go through Mary in order to get the Father to do something, or through the Pope, or through dead saints, don't you know? I remember being down in the central Mexico in a Catholic church, and the whole wall covered in letters that they had written to dead saints on behalf of people in their family. They had pictures and locks of hair and all this stuff, and all these letters to dead saints. And I'm like, I'm just saddened by that. We have a Savior that whatever he petitions, the Father grants, and that he's the only mediator. We go to him on behalf of what we need and pray unto him. Now, Jesus petitions for this helper, and then God provides. Look in your text. He says, I have petitioned the Father, and it says the Father, the Father will give another. The Father will give another. This paraclete, in your text it says, I think it says, helper. One who appears in another's behalf. Another mediator, another intercessor. One who will help you. Think about it. Living your Christian life, going through what you go through. A helper. Right now, immediately, everywhere you are. How many times in your life do you say, I don't know what to do? How many times do you say, everything's falling apart? How many times do you say, I'm so busy, I can't put all this stuff together, and you feel raveled, and you're like, I don't know how to make all of this work. You have a helper. Have you asked him for help? Have you sought him to help you? Have you said, look, I'm at the rope's end, and I don't know what to do, and the Word of God says you're my helper, and I need help. Have you asked him Before you went to all these other sources, did you go to the very helper God has provided? Jesus' petition, the Father has given. You have a helper. 
Do you understand that whatever your issue is, he's enough? He's sufficient for you, for your mind, for your emotions, for your heart, for the deepest things that are going on in you, for all of your heartaches, for all of your hurts, everything that's going on in your life. He is enough. Talk to him. Ask him for help. In the same chapter, John 14, verse 26, let me give you a few texts. He says in 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You have a great teacher. He will teach you everything you need to know. John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, notice he's the spirit of truth. He comes forth from the Father, and he bears witness about Jesus. John 16, 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Here's what Jesus says. It's to your advantage that I go away. Jesus is located in physical flesh in one region of the world. Well, it's advantageous if he leaves because this other one he's going to send can be present in believers globally. It's to your advantage I go away. He he goes on, he says, if I don't go away, then the helper's not going to come. So it's to your advantage that this happens. Then you will also be reminded that Jesus is also called a paraclete in 1 John 2.1. He's also called a helper. ESV translates it advocate in 1 John 2.1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, a paraclete, one who can help us with our sin issues with the Father. Who is it? Jesus Christ the righteous. You can call Jesus Christ the paraclete. You can call the Holy Spirit the paraclete. By the way, the Godhead is in perfect unity and there is no division. And so these are the ways it is identified in Scripture. Then let me give you one other thing on this note of the helper. In James 1.17, a verse many of you would know, this is what James says. We're talking about a gift. We're talking about the person of the Holy Spirit being given to you, dwelling within you. What does James say? Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom is no variation or shadow due to change. If God gives the Holy Spirit, it is the best gift. It's a gift that stays forever, the best that He could give you. Everything that's necessary. Church, I want you to try to grasp this. I'm repeating myself on purpose. I want you to understand that you're not devoid of the Spirit of God, that you're not lacking, that you're a second-rate Christian. I want you to understand, if you've repented of your sins, believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been filled with the Spirit of God. He is a person that dwells in the believer and helps them to live out Christianity. And God has given him to you for your help and for your comfort. You're not alone. You're not abandoned. You're not without aid. He's provided for you. You, you don't need psychotropic drugs. You don't need alcohol. You don't need any kind of oh, uh, marijuana drugs. You don't need any of that stuff in order to get your peaceful, easy feeling. You have the Spirit of God. What more could you ask for? Well, I feel a little down. Well, maybe you should go to your helper. All these other things will not last. They won't. 
and all this stuff that's going on in the world, none of that stuff is going to satisfy. Only the Spirit of God and the Father has given him to you. And I have better news even than that. Not only is the Spirit given to you, he's permanently given. You look at verse 16. He says he will give him to you that he will be with you into eternity, into the ages. Into, so we can't put a time frame on it. We can't see the end of it. He is always going to be with you. He says, I will give you another helper, another advocate. Now, I remind you, another, there's two Greek words for another. There's alas and there's heteros. Alas is another of the same kind. Heteros is another of a different kind. Here, it's alas, another of the same kind. Jesus gives another that's just like him. There's no division here. Perfect harmony, the one that's given by God to you, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is the same as the Lord Jesus Christ. If Jesus is a person, the Holy Spirit is not an it. If Jesus is a person, the Holy Spirit is a person. If Jesus is divine, the Holy Spirit is divine. Look, we need to understand this because terminology in our era stinks. Look, the Holy Spirit is not a liquid. The Holy Spirit's not a feeling. As if when I got saved, I got 20% of the Spirit, and you got 23%, and he got 32%. It's not a liquid you can measure out. Either the Holy Spirit, the person, dwells within you, or he don't. He said, well, and you can't break this up into body parts either. Well, I got the Holy Spirit, but I just got the foot. Oh, I got the foot and the hand. I got the eye and the nose. No, you can't dismember the Holy Spirit. Either you've received the person of the Spirit of God to dwell in you, or you have not him. He is a person. He's another like Jesus. The gift of the Holy Spirit, which is given by God, is without time limits. It's a permanent dwelling. Let me give you a few other texts just to kind of give foundation to this thought. Romans 8 9. You, however, are not in the flesh. Praise God. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, the, the Spirit of God dwells, lives, remains in you. What a great truth. And then Romans 8, 11, two verses later. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. And then 2 Timothy 1.14, the Apostle Paul says this to Timothy. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Holy Spirit dwelt in Paul. The Holy Spirit dwelt in Timothy. Same Spirit. Church, get a hold of this. The Apostle Paul didn't have a different Holy Spirit in him, and Timothy didn't have a different Holy Spirit in him, and then Jack gets a Holy Spirit, and Jeff gets a Holy Spirit, and Cody gets a Holy Spirit. This nonsense. We're working with the same entity of divinity dwelling in us, the third person of the Godhead, inhabits or dwells in all believers. 
Look, somebody needs to grasp this because I'm sick and tired of the charismaniacs telling me I haven't been baptized in the Spirit, whatever that's supposed to mean. Look, either I have the Spirit or I don't. Don't give me this nonsense you're trying to cram down my throat. And I don't want my church to feel like that we're somehow spiritually dead because we're not dead because the Spirit of God is alive and He dwells in us and He's very much alive. We have Him because God gave Him to us as a gift because He loves His children. Everything you need to live this life, you have in the Spirit of God dwelling within you. By the way, the Apostle Peter says it this way. (laughs) I love this. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4 says, His divine power has granted to us. His divine power has granted to us what? All things that pertain to what? Pertain to life. Pertain to godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us precious and very great promises, so that through them, here it is, you, get this, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Carnal, depraved man becoming a partaker of the divine nature. How do we partake of the divine nature? The Father God sends the Spirit of God to dwell in us, and by that we become partakers of the divine nature. So then you can say, you can define yourself this way I'm a saint. I'm a child of God. I'm adopted. I'm righteous. How can you say you're righteous? Because if you're in Christ, you're clothed with His righteousness because it's been imputed. These things become true of you. you got people going around sad and depressed and all this because they're, you know, man, I'm a sinner and I do all these bad things. My identity is Christian. I bleed Christianity because the Spirit of God dwells in me. I've been cleansed by the person of Jesus Christ. I've been adopted into the family of God. I have the greatest Father that there is. I have the Spirit of God dwelling in me. And I have a Savior who's paid all my debt. With all of that, ought to be at least a little bit excited that one day I'm going to glory. What a gift. I don't intend this to be a Christmas message. I don't get into the Christmas thing. But I tell you what, we've got all these gifts floating around and people maxing out their credit cards for whatever. You can't top this. You can't purchase this with money, not even Simon there in Acts. You can't purchase him with money. This gift is freely given by God because he loves his children. He just took the greatest gift he could possibly give and he gave it to every one of his children. If you believe that, the next issue that comes up in your life, you'll ask him for help. Verse 17. So possession is the point here. The spirit of truth. Spirit of truth. The world is not able to receive him, doesn't see him or know him. It's like this contrast here, though. You know him. You know him. Not you might know him, not you could know him, but you know him. Because he's, he dwells in you, and he will be in you. Possession of this Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a beacon, a source or the source of light. Uh, Webster's Dictionary, a, a, a source of light or inspiration. He's everything that gives light to my life. He is the truth. Much of what is said about the Spirit in our day is devoid of a lot of truth. 
Now, I'm not going to chase this very far, but I do want to at least allude to it, and that is this. I was a part of charismatic movement way back. I've been here for over 20 years, but way back I was a part of the charismatic movement. And one of the big things they had is they would get slain in the Spirit. And I remember I was preaching a revival in Bolivar, Tennessee. And in the middle of the revival, the Spirit supposedly spoke to them, and they canceled the revival, and they all went to Florida where this other revival had broken out. And they all went down there because that's where the Spirit was. So they had to go down there to get the Spirit. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure He's present everywhere and I don't need to go to Florida to find him, is what I was thinking. But the big deal was they would get slain in the Spirit. And so I started confronting these different people, friends of mine, and they'd get slain in the Spirit. And i say, and so what did you learn? And they'd say, learn about what? Well, I'm just thinking that if the Spirit of God knocked you on the floor and you had swooned into some kind of coma or something, that the Spirit of God gave you some type of truth that you can live your life by. And they're like, well, no, it was just, I, it was just, you, I just can't explain it. It's just, it was just so awesome. Okay, but the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth, and He's the teacher of truth, and He points people to the truth, and He guides people to the truth, but yet He knocked you down and gave you nothing. The only place I can find in all the Bible where somebody's slain in the Spirit is when they come to arrest Jesus, and it's His enemies that get knocked down. I mean, what, is, what kind of deal and experience gives you a knockdown on the floor, but no revelation of truth that you can live by? I'd rather just read my Bible. That way I at least know how to live. And then, it, then there's this, it, this happens in Baptist circles. Oh, the Spirit was so powerful in our church this morning. Really? What did he do? I always say he, not what did it do. What did he do? Man, I just, this lady sang this special this morning, and I got all these goosebumps. Yeah, that happens to me sometimes when I ride my bicycle and a dog runs out in front of me. I don't know if the Holy Spirit has anything to do with it, but what did the goosebumps do for you? Well, it was, just, it, was just, it was just powerful. You just, you just had to be there. We were in the presence of God. You were in the presence of God and didn't get truth? You wasn't led to any truth? You didn't learn anything? You didn't get any doctrine, no theology? You didn't get a way to live your life? I'm not sure that you were at church. Maybe you were at the bar. He says here in our text, the world doesn't see him. The world doesn't know him. They're not able to receive him. And then you have these others that say stuff like this. Well, the Spirit told me. The Spirit told you what? Well, the Spirit spoke to me. What did he say? If the Spirit of God is speaking to you contrary to the Word of God, it's not the Holy Spirit that we're talking about here. You're talking about some other spirit or something else that you've developed in your own heart and mind. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. Look, you can read your Bible. It's clear. He is identified specifically as the Spirit of truth. So if you have an experience with the third person of the Godhead and come out without truth, you didn't experience the third person of the Godhead. Because the Godhead, the third person, is going to lead you to truth. He's going to testify to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to reveal Christ to you and show you and guide you how you're to live. Be very careful that you get caught up in. The world, and I say the world, but some of this world is in the church. It's part of the problem. It's just blind. Like, it's Baptist people don't have a, a clue what the role of the Holy Spirit is. They don't understand maybe even what I'm saying this morning. Well, be careful here because if you don't get this, the text says the world can't see him or know him. So if you don't know these things, then perhaps the Spirit of God does not dwell within you. The world's not able to receive him. The world doesn't see him. 
world doesn't even know who he is. They don't understand living. I can tell you what, you go back to John 3, they don't understand Nicodemus. They don't understand that whole story. It makes no sense to them. And wind goes here and the wind goes there. We hear the sound, we don't know where it's going from. So it's everyone who's born of the Spirit of God. They're controlled by another of the same kind. Like they're controlled by Christ. Well, blind unbelief that the world has is sure to err. You'll remember the words of William Cooper we sing so many times. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. You love this line. God is his own interpreter. He will make it plain. How will he do that? He will do that by the Spirit whom He calls us to dwell within us, and He will lead us unto all truth. God makes things plain, makes things plain to His children. But for those that do not belong to Him, they continue to live in darkness. The world is full of opinions, but God has interpreted Himself on written pages that we can read and ask the Spirit to give us clarity unto. So the beacon, the Spirit of God, is an inspiration of the light. Blind unbelief is what the world is under. But here's a beautiful truth for believers in this verse. And this is the truth he gives us in verse 17. He is known by you, he dwells within you, and he will be in you. Three things. Let me just give you three verses, one with each. He is known by you. 1 Corinthians 2.12, now we have not, now we have, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, praise the Lord, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things that are given to us by God. Then you have, He dwells with you, 1 John 3.24, whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in him. Notice, God abides in him. Also know the Spirit abides in him. God, the Holy Spirit, one. And by this we know, how do we know he abides in us? By the Spirit whom he has given us. How many people, even in this church, have wrestled with assurance of salvation? Am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I going to heaven? Am I going to hell? We wrestle with these things. What, well, pastor, do you think I'm saved? Do you think I'm not saved? Counsel number one, ask the Spirit of the living God to convince you of your saveness or your lostness. The Spirit of God doesn't give you assurance. My assurance ain't going to help you much. You need the Spirit of God. That's His responsibility. He'll assure you and lead you to the truth and give you confidence of where you stand. Do you not know that you're God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? And then lastly, he will be with you in the future. John, 1 John 4, 13, By this we know we abide in Him, and by this we know He abides in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. See, I don't know if that's enough to convince. I don't know if all my questions have been answered. It's all that Christ has given in petitioning the Father to you to make it necessary for you to live the Christian life and to be prepared for the life to come. The Holy Spirit is enough. You say, well, I'm still kind of working through these things. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, you'll be able to work through them. He'll get you to all truth. And as your Christianity unfolds, you will become more confident in who you are in Christ. 
Because the Spirit of God will not fail. He begins this work. He's not going to leave it incomplete. He's going to accomplish what he set forth to do. He's going to mold you and shape you into the image of Christ. That's what he is about. If the Holy Spirit doesn't make any sense to you, maybe you are devoid of the Spirit. Now, that's our text, and I hope these things are helpful and encouraging to you. Let me take a little bit of time to deal with some problems. And I want you just to hear the text, if nothing else, but let me relate these to you. There are a lot of weird interpretations in regards to the Holy Spirit, and I can't address all of them by any means. But one of the ones that's always kind of rubbed me the wrong way is they will say, and this has to do with Old Testament and New Testament, so they will say that the Holy Spirit was with our own people in the Old Testament, but not in them are dwelling or remaining in them. So back in the Old Testament, Old Testament dispensation, the Holy Spirit was hovering over them or around them. But in the future, after Jesus ascends, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. That's, let me give you one uh, well-known commentator. He would say it this way. He would say that Jesus is standing there and the Holy Spirit is in Jesus. So he would interpret John 14, 17 this way. He would say, The Holy Spirit is by your side and in the future will be in you. So he would say that because they didn't believe that the Holy Spirit possessed people until after Pentecost. So he's beside you, but in the future he'll be in you. Are you tracking? Here's the Holy Spirit, but he doesn't dwell in you yet, but later he will dwell in you. Not too far of a jump from there, you can move to T.D. Jakes and modalism. And T.D. Jakes says it like this, God the Father's in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ in the New Testament Gospels, and then the Holy Spirit comes after that. What does that mean? T.D. Jakes doesn't even see the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament in any form. He didn't see it in the life of Jesus. It was after Jesus left, the Holy Spirit came. So you had this mode of God, this mode of God, and this mode of God. All these types of weird interpretations. Let me give you some biblical clarity about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You can write down the references if you like. But there's a man by the name of Bezalel. Bezalel is in Exodus twice, Exodus 31 and Exodus 35. And it says this about Bezalel. It says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God. That's what the Old Testament says about the Spirit. And then in Exodus 35, When Moses spoke to the people of Israel about Bezalel, he said, he has filled him with the Spirit of God. They have people telling me they weren't filled with the Spirit in the Old Testament. Well, Moses said Bezalel was. I at least have one story. I've got one reference point that they were filled. Then there's another notable character that you would like and know, and his name is Joshua. You know, after Moses died, you have a new leader for the people. And so he says, you know, you should pick Joshua. So in Numbers 27, 18, so the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit. And then Deuteronomy 34, 9, And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the Spirit. And there's a man that became a king of Israel. His name was David. And David in Psalm 51.11 says, Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your spirit from me. And then we go to a man who's a prophet by the name of Ezekiel. 
Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 2. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered me, set me on my feet. Exodus 3, 24. But the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet and spoke to me and told him what to do, which direction to go. Then, although it's said by a pagan, I think the reference is right, when Nebuchadnezzar says this about a man by the name of Daniel. (laughs) Go ask him because in him is in whom the spirit of the holy gods. This Daniel's different than everybody I know. He is the the spirit that dwells in him, and he can interpret these dreams. So ask him. Daniel 4, 8 and 9, and also Daniel 4, 18. And then also Daniel 5, 11, three times, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. There's another prophet by the name of Micah, minor prophet. Micah says this. This is his testimony. Micah says, quote, But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord. I wonder if Micah thought he was filled with the Spirit of God. Now, I know you can quibble, and you can say, Well, the Spirit, well, if he was indwelling them, he didn't do this, and he didn't do this, or he didn't do that. Look, the Spirit can do whatever he jolly well wants to do. He's the Holy Spirit. He's the third person of the Godhead. And if he wants to work with Ezekiel this way, Daniel this way, and Moses this way, and Micah this way, so be it. And if he wants to work with Zechariah like this, and John the Baptist like this, and he wants to work with the apostles like this, and he wants to work like this on Pentecost, and he wants to work like this today in me, that's his prerogative. He's God. But I'm not going to divorce these truths from Scripture that the Spirit of God dwells in every born-again believer. What it says about John the Baptist, the angel said to Zechariah during that time, he says about John the Baptist, he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Look, Christ hadn't gone to the cross. Pentecost hadn't happened. But John the Baptist, Old Testament last prophet, is filled with the Spirit of God. But not just John the Baptist. What about Elizabeth? Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary. The baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth, oh, you mean the Holy Spirit would fill a woman also? Yes, born-again believer. She's filled with the Spirit of God. And then you find Zechariah, the father. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he prophesied. All of these things before Pentecost. And then I would remind you of the Apostle Peter. And so here's the Apostle Peter's commentary on the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. So regardless of what dispensationalists might say or others may say, this is what Peter says. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, they searched and inquired carefully. So here are these prophets, and what are they doing? They're inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. Peter says these prophets have the Spirit of Christ in them, and they're trying to determine when the Lord's Christ may come. But he does say the Spirit of Christ is in them. There's no contradiction between the Spirit of Christ and the Holy Spirit. It's the same Spirit. It's His Holy Spirit that has been sent. Now, we come to the work of this Holy Spirit, whom I'm saying to you from the text, 
dwells in Old Testament believers, dwells in New Testament believers, and dwells in us today. I'm being consistent across the board, and I'm saying to you this. There is only one gospel that has been given by God. The same gospel that converted Abraham is the same gospel that converted me and the same gospel that converted you. I understand the gospel to mean something important here. I was spiritually dead. I was depraved, and I deserved to go to hell. And the Spirit of the living God came into me through the Word of God, and He did a work in my heart and took out a heart of stone and gave me a heart of flesh and caused me to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And through this mighty, powerful, supernatural work of regeneration, the Spirit of God became a person who dwelled within me. That's how I was saved. That's how I continue to walk this day, is being empowered and strengthened by the Spirit of God who lives in me. The same is true of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob, and of David, and on through the prophets we can go. Any man, woman, boy, girl, child that's converted from Genesis 1-1 until Jesus comes back is converted by the supernatural work of the Spirit of God, filled with the Spirit of God, enabled by the Spirit of God to live out Christianity and sustain the church until He comes. If you don't like that lengthy paraphrase, then let me tell you what Paul said. The Apostle Paul says this to the Galatians. I'm astonished. I'm astonished at churches across the world. I'm astonished what? You're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. That's the Greek word heteros, of a different kind. You've turned to a different kind of gospel. There's one gospel where the Spirit of God does a supernatural work and dwells in a believer and causes them to be formed into the image of Christ. That's a gospel. There's another kind that does something else. It leads men to hell. He says, I'm, I, I'm, I'm surprised you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there's another. An, there's not even another of the same kind. There's only one. He, this... This is Paul's statement. Look, it, there's not this gospel for Old Testament. How do people in the Old Testament get saved? How do people in the New Testament get saved? How do we get saved? There's only one gospel. Whether you can wrap your mind around it or not, there's only one. And God spoke the gospel to Abraham, and he believed. And you know what? It was counted to him as righteousness. There are some who would trouble you. They'd want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we've preached to you, let him be damned. There's only one. Church, fight for it. Hold on to it. Cherish it. The God of glory has given you the Holy Spirit to dwell in you and enable you to live out Christianity unto the very end. He's your helper. Are you lonely? Are you scared? Are, are you troubled? Are you busy? Is your life falling apart? Are your kids rebelling? Is everything going haywire this season? Then get down on your knees and say, God, you gave me your Spirit and Holy Spirit, I need help. I can't do this on my own. I'm weak. I'm pathetic. I'm in the flesh. I do dumb things all the time. Holy Spirit, I need guidance. I need help. Make me walk on the narrow road. I want to live in a way that honors King Jesus. Holy Spirit, I'm begging for help. Have you tried it? What do you do? Get down on your knees and go, Oh, dear Facebook, please let somebody have pity for me. Oh, that somebody would like this and somebody would feel sorry for me. Stop it! 
people need pity. You need God. That's who you need. You don't even have to have a Facebook account to get all the help you need. Go to Him. He's given you a comforter. Spend some time with Him. Weep before Him. Get alone in a closet somewhere and say, Holy Spirit, please help me. He's so tired of worldly Christianity. Holy Spirit reveals truth every time. John 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage. I go away. If I don't go away, the helper will not come. I'll tell you what the helper will do. He'll convict of sin. He'll convict of righteousness. And he'll convict of judgment. He'll convict of sin because men have it. He'll convict of righteousness because there's only one who possesses it. And he'll convict of judgment because we're all going to have to stand before God someday. What is the best way that you and I can understand the Holy Spirit by reading this book? No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Not one word of prophecy ever. You know what men did? They spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now let me do something with a conclusion here. This is what we've seen, I hope, from the Holy Spirit this morning. He caused Bezalel to do artistic design for the temple of God. He caused Joshua to lead the people of God after Moses died. He caused David to be the king of Israel. He caused Ezekiel to be a prophet for God. He caused Daniel to interpret dreams for God. He caused Micah to be a prophet for God. He caused all the prophets to write the word of God. He caused the apostles to plant the church of the living God. And he causes Christians globally to plant and sustain churches until Jesus returns. And he causes you to endure in whatever task he has given you until the end of time. You can continue, and you can continue well. Because everything you need to accomplish what God has gifted you to do, He's given you the ability to do it by letting the Holy Spirit dwell within you and empowering you for the task at hand. The work of building a church is beyond human ability. The idea of sustaining a church is way beyond human ability. We need much help. Think about these apostles as we close. Here they are in that little location there in Palestine. Jesus says, go into all the world. Make disciples. Imagine some levels of fear here. Peter's going to go to Texas. He never made it to Texas, by the way. Texas wasn't even a state. But he, he couldn't, I mean, the world? These guys haven't traveled far. You want us to go to a world we've never seen and preach a gospel and build a church? I mean, there's got to be some level of fear. Some of you, I can't even get some of you to pass out a red bag to your neighbor. You're afraid. I mean, they couldn't they think of the fear, and then, and then to go there and plant a church and sustain it, it's like, this is an impossibility. Exactly. That's right. You got it now. It's impossible in your own strength. 
And Jesus says, but it's good news. I'm going to the Father. I'll petition him. I'll give you the Holy Spirit. And then you can go all over the world preaching the gospel. And Peter's like, ah, I get it. Here's Solomon's portico. Everybody don't want to hear me preach? I'm going to preach. And then God comes down. All these people get saved. Oh, we got a church. How's it going to function? How are we going to do this? How are we going to sustain the church? Oh, we got to do this. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to weep night and day for the space of three years to warn you because I want the church to be healthy. I'll bleed and die. I'll be in shipwrecks. I'll go through all this stuff, whatever it takes, that God's church should be healthy. These guys became bold as lions, living out their faith in con- contrast to the whole world. They were, they were people without a home. They were unwanted and hated. They're going through vanity fair, and everybody just wants to kill them. It's like, how do they do this? By the Holy Spirit that dwells within them, the same Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Whatever you remember of this sermon today, whenever you leave this building, just know as a Christian, you don't lack anything for living out Christianity in this world. Jeff, if you'll come and lead us in song.